Good evening, this is Dr. Dan Guerra, this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is 2-2-2024. It's going to be lecture number 21 on leukotrienes. That would be biomedical portrait number 8. We were getting involved in the discussion of aspirin. And what do we want to say exactly about the interaction with aspirin? Ultimately, the effect of acetylsalicylic acid on preformed artificial membrane systems in association with cholesterol, which is where we were when we left off, is following. If you study what are known as the Langmuir budget isotherms, this is generated via calorimetric measurements in association with neutron diffraction studies. The end result of this experiment, and there's many more like it, but I'm just moving through this one so we can talk just about aspirin, not as an inhibitor of cyclooxygenase, but as a corruption mechanism or membrane fluidity. In the presence of 10 mole percent, which is pretty high, acetylsalicylic acid, what occurs to a preformed dipalmidoyl-phosphatidylcholine membrane uh, with cholesterol? is a refluidification of the bilayer. This is when there's up to about 30% cholesterol. Now, when you study the neutron diffraction patterns, what is happening is that aspirin superstructures start to obtain in the fluid bilayer. And that will corrupt the formation of membrane lipid rafts, okay? Just by the introduction of that one um, NSAID. Now, there have to be a lot more work to be performed to know <coughs> whether or not aspirin would function that way in vivo in biological membranes. But aspirin has been detected in membrane, intact. So there's no reason to believe it wouldn't have some effect on the integrative alteration of cholesterol-mediated superfluidization of the acyl chains, thus generating a gel phase to liquid crystalline phase um, disruption. Now let's talk about leukotriene, because this uh, these actually by the trains. Remember LTB4. It is the most potent chemotactic molecule produced by macrophages and neutrophils that have ever been uh, detected. LTB4 is, of course, the result of the oxygenation via 5-lipoxygenase of arachidonate. So what's going on with the production of arachidonate in polymorphonuclear leukocytes in the presence of cholesterol or a few salts of cholesterol, such as cholesterol sulfate or phosphate. So the addition of LPS in association with lipid vesicles containing phosphatidylcholine or phosphatidylcholine cholesterol at a 70-30 mole ratio demonstrated that emitting the cholesterol 
abolished the effect of lipopolysaccharide on leukotriene biosynthesis. And in fact, cholesterol sulfate, which is the most common sulfated sterile we find in serum in human blood, to suppress leukotriene production in human neutrophils and to neutralize the effect of P. originosa, LPS, and LT synthesis is thus demonstrated, and it's suggested that these sulfated lipids, sulfate cholesterol in particular, acts as an endogenous regulator of leukotriene biosynthesis in neutrophils and may be considered a potential to probe for anti-inflammatory pharmacotherapy based on the modification of the cholesterol level and a conversion to its anionic derivative. Now, that all came from a paper published a few years back, which I'll give you in the show notes, 2008. So people have been studying this for a long time. These are bits of data, bits of information I want you to start uh, developing in your mind. So talking about development, development of any kind of technologies that are used to probe membrane fluidity is definitely going to aid in our understanding of leukotriene metabolism and the alteration of signal transduction, among other things. And I told you the technologies that have been used are, well, a lot of them have to do with microscopy, but also spectroscopy. So we have scanning probe microscopy, or SPM. We have atomic force microscopy, single particle trafficking, fluorescence correlation spectroscopy, that's called FCS, <coughs> fluorescence resonance energy transfer, that's FRET, and fluorescence photoactivation localization microscopy, that's FPOM. And so using those techniques, we're starting to obtain evidence at the nanoscale of the alteration of dynamic membrane lipid domains that can occur as rafts because the domains that, be, that have been studied include those that contain sphingolipid cholesterol, of course, in association with polypeptide, much like a membrane lipid raft, right? <clears throat> so if we can get down to the nanometer scale, which of course is uh, what you can obtain with electron microscopy, and here you're using immunogold-labeled rafts and using near-field scanning optical micro microscopic techniques with localizations that will get to about 3 nanometers. It's been determined that there are nanodomains of glycerol, phosphatidyl, and anchored proteins concentrated in regions in the membrane. So see, this is getting at sequencing the membrane. That's why I'm giving you these papers that are, that are about the size of 200 nanometers. Now, obviously, that's going to be way too large of an area in two dimensions, three dimensions, or even in all four dimensions when you consider it's an event through time. But you're going to be able to get very accurate um, description of what's going on in the membrane relative to alteration of fluidity and diffusivity, and therefore signal transduction. 
during the process of activation of the phospholipase A2 lipoxygenase pathways, among anything else that's going on, anything else that might be going on in the membrane. <clears throat> now, single particle trafficking of colloidal gold labeled glycosylphosphatidyl inositol anchored receptors like CD59 and other, other proteins like CD59 show that that protein clusters. And the cluster contains several CD59 molecules and only a single molecule of G-alpha inhibitory 2 protein or LIN protein. And this only occurs transiently. I, th I told you this in event ontology. Somewhere between 130 to 200 millisecond. And that's fast enough to recruit CD59 clusters immediately distal to the recruitment of that G-alpha inhibitory protein complex. Okay? So, using other techniques like fluorescence correlation spectroscopy, might be able to get at how those GPI-anchored proteins can form assemblages down to maybe only 100 or 120 nanometer. Again, fluctuating at some level below a second, at a millisecond level, not at a microsecond level. So we're getting there. <coughs> this paper was published back in 2011. So you see, three years later, they're getting better with the technology. These are only very small regions we're talking about in the membrane. You can use high-intensity um, spatial and temporal resolution fluorescence resonance energy transfer to get a handle on the estimate of even down to 10 nanometer movement in a GPI-anchored receptor that was residing temporally in association with other protein clusters, if those clusters are stabilized. Now, this can be done by using fluorescence photoactivation, localization, microscopy, because that will give you the dynamic clustering, right? Because it's photoactivated. Now, interestingly, that little bit we knew about glycerophospholipids, particularly the GPI, GPI anchors. Remember, GPI anchors are important for a lot of proteins as they are embedded into the membrane. They're tethered to the membrane by glycerophospho-inositol lipids. And that anchoring can be removed and can be added back. That's how proteins um, migrate towards the membrane, not with the necessary function of a lipid membrane raft, just as proteins being synthesized, can go there and be leashed to a GPI. And then that, that bond can be broken and the protein can now move away from the membrane. And the GPI remains in the membrane. You see? So this is also occurring. This has to do with acylation of proteins, obviously. Some proteins are acylated just with fatty acids, like palmitate. And some proteins are glypiated. Glypiated means they are covalently bound to glycerophospholipids like GPI. Now, unlike those glycerophospholipids, the plasma membrane sphingolipids show a transient cholesterol-dependent confinement within the membrane that is smaller. 
It's about 20 nanometer. And that is getting down to the size of a lipid raft. So all this suggests that these techniques are getting closer and closer to understanding molecular movement of membrane constituents to form and stabilize microdomains. And those microdomains sometimes could be defined as lipid rafts. Now that suggests, of course, there's a selective cholesterol-mediated microdomain heterogeneity because we know that cholesterol is required for lipid rafts and that this may be a way to get a handle on what's going on with the migration frequency within the plasma membrane of living cells. Okay? So it looks like functioning lipid rafts, while we know that they are present in the cell membrane to deliver cargo proteins, are also responsible for dynamic and kinetic molecular trafficking, transport, and, of course, signaling. So you can ask a question, why can sphingolipid and cholesterol-enriched microdomains, why can they be separated from the glycerophospholipid membrane bilayers and specifically act as a raft that can float seemingly freely in the membrane? Does it have something to do with the proteins that associate with the lipid raft or just with the lipids? Now, in order to be able to get that, we have to come up with some hypothetical deductions. And with the deductions, you have to come up with some premises. So, what's being suggested, there might be multiple factors accounting for the formation of the lipid raft. Factors which not only result in the formation of the liquid lipid raft, but also lead to their mobility and flotation within the membrane. And generally, they've come up with three main factors, biochemical, biophysical factors. First of all, compared to the glycerol phospholipid, the two hydrophobic sphingomyelin side chains are indeed longer and more highly saturated. So you have a longer hydrocarbon, a longer aliphatic residue. That makes those sphingolipids take on a more fully extended and tightly packed residence next to one another. That appears to be significant for lipid raft assembly. That's why there are sphingolipids and not phospholipids in those rafts, you see. Now, there are different arrangements between the different sphingolipid, and there are, of course, some phospholipid molecular species. We know the phospholipids are there in the membrane, so there must be some sorting mechanism. During the biosynthesis of the raft, say, leaving the Golgi, during the processing of the raft with the plasma membrane, and then the embedding of the, of the lipid raft into the membrane, and then subsequently that lipid raft moving out of the membrane. Okay? Now, all of this has to do with some kind of phase separation. Now, phase separation behavior can occur with mixed systems of cholesterol, like we mentioned in last lecture. 
and that will lead to what's called a mesophase. And it will generate a new, modified, and transient liquid-ordered phase. And within this new liquid-ordered phase, <coughs> lipid fatty acyl chains will be fully extended and closely associated into a gel-like structure that would then exhibit a high degree of lateral mobility. Yes. Now, the second, that's only the first <laughs> factor. Second factor, unlike glycerophospholipids, sphingolipids contain at least one hydroxyl group, obviously. You know the structure. And what does that allow for? The formation of hydrogen bonds. And so it makes those hydrogen bonds easy to form not only between sphingomyelin molecules, but also between sphingomyelin and cholesterol. And what else? Sphingomyelin and lysophospholipids, phosphoglycerolipids. Why? Because a lysophosphoglycerolipid, what's going to be in the position when the fatty acid is removed? An hydroxyl group. So another possibility for hydrogen bonding, you see? So lysophospholipids may take on a role similar to sphingolipids in lipid membrane raft assembly, mobilization, and trapping. Now, this formation of the intermolecular hydrogen bonding that we're talking about here within the membrane will dramatically increase the intermolecular forces among the molecules. What kinds of forces? <laughs> Hydrophobic forces, but also because we're talking about hydrogen bonding, because the, the aliphatic groups will will associate with hydrophobic association, but with the hydrogen bonding itself, you're going to have a potential for dipole-dipole moments. You're going to have a potential for London dispersion forces. Okay? That's a key feature here. And these can be anisotropic, obviously. Now, when that occurs, when you get these intermolecular forces affecting these molecules, that's going to increase the melting temperature of the lipid assembly. And that could result in a transition of the assembly from the liquid disordered state. And the liquid disordered state is the liquid phase, right? And so with lower melting temperatures, you're going to have a liquid ordered phase. Now, a liquid ordered phase is the gel phase. And that's going to have been generated with a higher melting temperature. And remember what cholesterol does to that melting temperature. It collapses it, the higher mole percent of cholesterol, you see? So see the significance of cholesterol in the membrane and what it's doing in regulating trafficking of the membrane wraps. It's clear. Now, the conversion of sphingomyelin into such a liquid-ordered phase will separate it from the surrounding liquid-disordered phase. Now, that liquid-disordered phase is going to be represented by glycerophospholipids, you see? Not sphingomyelin and not lysophospholipids. 
Now, it's very similar to sphingolipid rafts floating, basically. If you want to uh, get a picture of it in your mind, floating in an ocean of glycerol phospholipids. And that's basically how these lipid rafts were first described. That's why they're called rafts, like a raft in the ocean. You see? And here the ocean is a lipid, that's real phospholipid. Right, see, because those are generated like with disordered phase, right? So the fatty acyl chains are free to move, so they're disordered. You see. Now the third component, third factor, cholesterol will promote phase separation behavior all on its own. Now this is because of the ring structure, obviously. Now by filling the void space. In the bulky sphingolipid molecules, when there's more than two, and also forming those hydrogen bonds with our sphingolipids, cholesterol will then function as a, for lack of a better word, an adhesive, an adhesive principle anyway. And that will allow for closer molecular packing of the sphingolipids, even into a more tightly ordered, organized lipid raft structural event assembly. Okay. Now, remember that sphingolipids are required to combine with cholesterol for the formation of that liquid ordered phase. And that you need cholesterol for that liquid ordered phase to proceed. So lipid rafts and cells formed with relatively less membrane sphingolipid or less membrane cholesterol will have a hard time getting out of the membrane. And isn't this exactly what we see? We see an increase in cholesterol mole percent as we move away from the site of biosynthesis of cholesterol. And we're here we're talking about organeller. We're talking about endoplasmic reticulum. We're also talking about some aspects of lipid uh, association with the mitochondrial membrane, proxosomal membrane, Golgi membrane, all those endomembranous compartments. Right? So anything that depletes the sphingolipid level or the cholesterol level is going to lock down lipid membrane raft mobility. And where we find the highest concentration going from the source of biosynthesis and the source of the membrane lipid rafts, we find them as a teleological vector, is from the inside of the cell to the outside of the cell, to the plasma membrane, okay? Yes. And so, in fact, cholesterol biosynthesis is regulated that way too. If you know about the SREBP pathway, right? And we talked about that recently. So what that means is that membrane lipid rafts are much more mobile at the surface of the cell than they are internally. And, in the, and what you could argue for is the membrane assembly that you find in preformed organelles mitochondria, endoplasmic particulum, Golgi apparatus, endosomes, nuclear envelope, peroxisomal membrane. The reason they are 
stable enough to form an, an integrative unit organelle is because the membrane lipid rafts do not move as quickly. And so lacunae or internal area can expand out. And maybe this is part of the evolution of the organellar system. Now, that's just something I thought about. I don't think I've ever seen that in any published uh, biochemical theory um, literature. And I certainly haven't published it. But it's an idea. It's an idea. The lack of mobility of the memory rest is the lower level of cholesterol. As you go internal into the cell, you go into the, into the intermembranic system. As compared to the plasma line, which is the highest mobile percent of cholesterol, could mean the lipid membrane rafts are more movable, more mobile, more um, facile to uh, translocate, deposit cargo, and then leave than they are on the endomembranous system. Because of that, the endomembranous system can take on more functions because there's more solubility, more solubility of polypeptides because of more aqueous compartments and more complex lipid compartments. Think about how the endoplasmic reticulum is associated, right? Yeah, or the Golgi apparatus. Very complex lipid structures. Very and mitochondrial inner membrane. Very complex lipid structures. Okay. All right. So let me check my time here. 25 minutes. We are about where I want to be. But those those three components, those three factors that account for the formation of the lipid wrap, membrane wrap, are essential for you to understand what they're doing, right? Now remember what the function is of the membrane wraps. The function of them is dependent on the formation of a macro domain. And that macro domain serves as a platform. And that platform still requires, no matter what the platform's function is. It requires that sphingomyelin cholesterol and also the ceramide-ceramide interactions. And so that gives you the, the structure, function, ontology of how lipid membrane rafts function in the cell. Okay. Now, since lipid, lipid rafts in both the surface and in some intracellular membranes can form membrane lipid platforms, which we know they can, that suggests that the clustering of membrane lipid rafts can produce signaling platforms that are unique to various endomembranous systems. And in fact, those signaling platforms may not function until they're translocated to some other compartment, like the plasma membrane, where they're going to be fully functioning, for example, for communicating to the extracellular space. <laughs> okay? So that means these could be occult building blocks of the signal transduction cascade. Because they're not functioning in the endomembranous system for the reasons I just told you, because of the lack of high levels of cholesterol. All right. So I think I'm going to stop there. I think that's enough. Uh, there's a lot of uh, really good uh, theoretical and conceptual framework in today's lecture about how membrane assembly works, how the structure-function relationship between glycophospholipids, lysoglycerophospholipids, sphingolipids, and cholesterol play a significant role in the dynamic and kinetic function and capability 
temporally to deal with alterations and signaling that occur because living systems have to have an open communication line to the potential for stress phenomena, such as infection or maybe an oncogenic event or some other kind of lesion, which then requires a reorganization of the membrane to deal with the new phenomena. And this can happen. I was just giving you the spatial coordinates down to a few nanometers in some of these graphs, down to 10, 20 nanometers. And we're getting down now into the um, low millisecond range. We haven't, we haven't dipped into the microsecond range, but we know that that's what the cell is capable of doing because we know that's what, what is occurring. For example, with flip-flop of phospholipids, uh, particularly migration of lipids across the lateral phase of, say, the inner leaflet itself or the outer leaflet itself, much quicker than millisecond. All right. It's Dr. Dan Guerra on 2 February 2024, uh, Friday evening, actually, uh, saying bye for now.